starts Thursday, and that's only because I know today's Wednesday. Um, so we'll get started tonight, but we're going to be in chapter 5, looking at verses 19 down through 24 uh, tonight. So we're moving on down through the lineage here. The descendants of Adam here, uh, especially as we look through how the lineage is now shifting and going through uh, Seth. We saw this in chapter 4, verse 26. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son. He called his name Enos, and then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. We talked about the importance of that, how now uh, that mankind is uh, once more worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth as they are supposed to. They are worshiping God according to how God has ordained and established. And this is something I want to touch on for just a moment. We must remember every time that we approach worship and the worship of God specifically, that there is only one way to worship God, and it is the way in which God has described and given to us. We cannot worship God however we please, right? To worship God as we please is to worship ourselves. God has given us all that we need to worship Him and has told us how to worship Him. He's given us the do's and the don'ts and the everything else in between and is in this book. We must stick to the Bible. The Bible is not just merely a final authority. It is our sole authority for all things. We must stand upon the Scripture. Now, as we come to this and we find that chapter 5 is running parallel but in different directions than chapter 4. Chapter 4, we've got the lineage, same as, as uh, chapter 5, but... The chapter 4 lineage, these fellas uh, and their families are moving to industry and to idolatry and immorality and to self-absorption, to self-dependency, whereas chapter 5, they're moving and living by faith. They're worshiping God. They're not seeking their own kingdom, but rather they're looking for the Lord. They're looking to walk before Him. They're looking to know God. They're looking for what is meant uh, to be lived for, and that is the eternal things, the godly things, the heavenly things. They're living rightly. This group in chapter 5 lives by faith. This group, chapter 4, lives by the flesh. Now, as we come here to chapter 5, verse, uh, we'll back up to verse 18 and down through 24 here. It says, And Jared lived in 162 years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Now remember that pattern that we had, right? He lived, right? He was this old, he had some sons, he had some daughters, he lived this long after he had sons and daughters, and he died, right? Now, the good thing that we know is that they lived and walked by faith, so praise God for that. Nevertheless, the sting of physical death was there because God had told Adam, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, ye shall surely die. That is a promise. It is a fact. It is you are going to die if you eat this. You shall means you shall, right? When God says that, that is a, a final word. So when the Lord said to Adam, you're going to die, he meant it. Now the same is for all of us. Now Adam's descendants and every other man and woman born into the world is born with a sinful nature into a sin-cursed body, a sin-cursed world, right, with a sinful nature. So sin is running rampant. So we had seen in chapter 4 how that sin curse is running wild and free in one uh, lineage. And in the other one, they are still sinners, but they're saved by grace through faith. They are trusting in the Lord. They're calling upon the name of the Lord. That's what salvation is at its very root. And now here we're going to find in this little passage this stark contrast. Now look here. It says, then in verse number 21, And Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. Right Now we know both those names. We'll see Methuselah, possibly not tonight. Methuselah's Enoch's son. He's going to be the oldest one to ever live. All right. 
Here's where we get to now in verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, how old was he when he had, had Methuselah? 65 years. How many years did he walk with God afterwards? It says 300. And then it says, and all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now, you can talk about different symbolism and things, but it is kind of neat that here we've got 365 days, makes up a year for us, 365 years for him. Boom. And then one day in one instant, one moment, it says here in verse number 24, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him, snatched him up. So we go from this pattern of six generations, right? Of going, he lived, he had kids, he lived some more, and then he died over and over and over and over and over again to he lived, he had a kid who ended up being the oldest person ever to live, and he did not die. Now that's sort of something that you go, whoa, hold on, something's different here, right? Now even if we take out the whole spiritual realm of that this is the very word of God, we just look at this as a book, and it's not, by the way, then something goes, oh, lights, lights go off here. Bells kind of go off because you go, something here is different. This makes you want to pay attention to Enoch. Now, when we look at this and we understand this is the living word of God, God is showing us something very important here. That here, this is the first person that does not taste death. That's incredible. Because up to this point, so far, sin has made everyone else taste of death. And death is bitter. Now, is it bittersweet for those who live and walk by faith because they get to enter in and to know the Lord, to see Him? Sure. Nevertheless, they still must go through that physical death. Now, notice here, we're going to look at the life of Enoch here tonight. Uh, We see him uh, being born in verse 18, right? Uh, His dad, Jared, is 162 years old. He begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years. He begat sons and daughters. So Enoch's got a bunch of brothers and sisters, too. What are their names? We don't know. That's okay, right? But he's got a whole bunch of them. We know that. Now look at this. Here's where we get into his life in verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters. Now, if you want to know the life of Enoch, here it is. Enoch walked with God. That was his life. That was his testimony. That's what's on the tombstone. That was, it. that was the obituary. That was the, the, the whole thing, right? That's his biography. Enoch walked with God. There is nothing more spiritual. There is nothing more biblical. There is nothing more wonderful. There is nothing more God-glorifying and God-honoring than to simply have it said of your life that they walked with God. Now, here's something that you and I would look at when you go, well, they were a good person. We say a lot of things when people die, whether they are or not, right? People lie a lot about people when they die. Y'all know that? <laughs> I do a lot of funerals. I hear a lot of lies. It's sad. Now, let's be honest. It is sad. But people say this all the time, right? They were a good person. Every funeral, no matter who the person is, you know, they, loved, they loved their family, even if they didn't. They, they did this. They did that. They say all these nice things, right? None of those compare to Enoch's here. You can say a multitude of things about somebody when they die, but to say that their life was summarized by that they walked with God, not that they had a good business, 
Not that they were giving, not that they were churchy, not that they were nice, not that they were mean, not that they were hateful, but that they walked with God tells you all that you need to know about a person. Walking with God is literally faith lived out. It is what faith should look like. Your life and my life, those of us who live by simple faith, who are just simple people, average people, our life should look like Enoch's, that we walk with God. Now look here. As one commentator puts it, he says, the phrase walked with God, which is only applied to Enoch and Noah. Let me pause there for, for a moment here. That is important. The very fact that there are two people, two people that are associated with walking with God, that's a difference, right? There's plenty of people that are on church rolls, right? Plenty of folks, right? Matter of fact, I know plenty of pastors who, who brag about how many they got on church rolls. That, you can do that all you want to. It does not matter. Here's, here's what matters about souls. Here's what matters about people. Are you walking with God or are you not walking with God? Here's what chapter 4 looked like. And they begat sons and daughters, and they did not walk with God. They lived in the flesh. They built their own kingdoms. They lived for the flesh. They built their own everything. Everything was self-worship, self-idolatry, right? That was chapter 4. But chapter 5, they're living by faith, but only two are going to be said that they walked with God. And that's going to be Enoch and Noah. What do we know about Noah? Noah gets on, he, he gets to build the big boat, right? Counting the animals as they're coming on ride out the storm, and gets to be the one between him and his family and his, to help repopulate the world. And God would give him a covenant and the rainbow, the whole thing, right? We're going to get there in a couple chapters. But as we see this, the only other one is Enoch, that he walked with God. Now, here's what this is. The phrase, walk with God, which is only applied to Enoch and Noah, denotes the most confidential intercourse, the closest communion with the personal God, a walking, as it were, by the side of God, who still continued his visible intercourse with men. It must be distinguished from walking before God, Genesis 17, 24, um, and, and as well, walking after God, Deuteronomy chapter 13. Notice those differences. They're close, but not quite the same, right? Now, here it says, both which, uh, both which phrases are used to indicate a pious, moral, blameless life under the law according to the directions of the divine commands. Where walking after God and, and walking before God show this sort of living right morally, a walking with God is different. Now, to walk after something means to follow after, uh, you're trying to live up to, but walking with means fellowship. The whole goal of all of Scripture is to get us back to a place of fellowship with God, where we are reconciled back to God. What was life like in the garden? Adam had fellowship with his wife, perfect marriage, the garden, a perfect place. And how about this? His perfect relationship with the Lord. And they could walk together, walk freely with the Lord. This is close, not just close proximity where we're near to each other, but a nearness of heart, a nearness of fellowship. This is a real communion. Now, uh, as we see here, that is what life was meant to be like. But what caused it to not be like that anymore? How many of you guys, right, live in a perfect garden with a perfect marriage and walk with God daily, right? And none of us, right? You might have maybe the, the perfect marriage part, right, if you're me or whatever else might be. But we don't have the guard part, do we? No. No, we don't. Why? Sin has ruined it. And so because of sin, man was no longer able to walk with God in such a communion, such fellowship. But it says of Enoch's life that he walked with God. The only way that you can walk with God is by faith. 
We're going to see that later on in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, when it talks about Enoch in verse number 5, the very next verse says that without faith it is impossible to please God. The only way that you're going to be able to walk with God is if you can please God. The only way that you can ever please God is if you know God. The only way you can ever know God is if you know Him by faith. It is a complete trust, a complete dependence, a complete reliance upon. It is what we see where, where Jesus tells us uh, to, um, uh, to, to yoke up with Him, if you will. So to walk with God, it is to walk side by side, step for step, we are not trying to outrun God and we are not lagging behind God and we are not going to the left or to the right, but we are walking with him in communion and fellowship. Now, let's be real honest with ourselves here tonight for a moment. How often can we say that in our life we are walking with God, not just walking after or not just walking um, before, right? Those are good moral things, right? That's when we're not, you know, in some sort of egregious sin. That's nice. But how often are we in a day walking with with God, right? Maybe like that much, right? Now, when we have those moments of walking with God, what do we think about those moments? Those are our high moments, if you will, Christian experience, right? We're feeling good, right? We're excited. We might lift our hands. Uh, we might cry a little bit. We might laugh a little bit. We're just happy to know and to walk with God in that moment. And it seems to be just so long in that moment, but yet it's just so quick in comparison to the rest of the day. And we wish that we could, man, I just wish I could live all my Christian life and that high, all of my Christian life, and that one experience, and that one moment. That's what life was meant to be like, to walk with God. But praise the Lord that there's coming a day where you and I, again, shall walk with God, and it won't be in this world. It shall be in the world to come. When this mortal shall put on immortality, when this flesh, this corruptible, shall put on incorruption. That's what we'll look at here, because Enoch is going to be the very picture of, of what that means. Now, ultimately, we've been talking on Sunday mornings, looking at Colossians 3 about the risen life, to seek the heavenly, to set your affections on things above, right? Enoch's life to walk with God, to walk by faith, is one that is walking and living for eternal things. He lived in a world around him that all sorts of things. If you remember just a chapter ago in chapter 4, they've got music, They've got iron, they've got fire, they've got all kinds of things, right? They're making a whole civilization, a whole society, a whole group of people. He's got friends, he's got family, he's got loved ones, he's got uh, grandparents, and he's got uh, grandkids, right? I mean, the whole thing on down the line. He's got so much, but yet all of it for him is temporary. And he's going to be 365 years old. That's a long time to live, isn't it? Right? I mean, making it to be 80, 90, 100 years old nowadays is a big deal. Well, you make it at 365 years old, that's a long time. But his own son is going to live 900 some plus years. Now, you think about this. For him, he had a whole lot longer to live in this temporary life. Yet, what was he living for? Eternity. That is what faith truly does. Now, the K&D commentators continue on. They say, and here's, here's important here. In Enoch... The seventh from Adam through Seth, godliness attained its highest point, whilst ungodliness culminated in Lamech, the seventh from Adam through Cain, who made his sword his god. If you remember back in chapter 4, now let me go ahead and pause for a moment. There's a Lamech in chapter 4 and a Lamech in chapter 5. Two different Lamechs, all right? Um, you go, well, how come they got the same name? Well, that's because there was plenty of people with the same name today. How come we got other Joes, right? We got plenty of average Joes out there. We got plenty of folks with the same names out there. Now look at this. Chapter 4, verse number 19. Here's the first Lamech in chapter 4. 
right? He's the seventh um, from Cain here. And here's what it says about his life. And Lamech took unto him two wives. Whoops. First mistake, right? That's a big one. That's a big deal. Because what is happening is marriage is now going to be drifting. The home is now going to be separating. This whole idea of building one's own kingdom is beginning to happen. And then he describes their lives. And then Lamech in verse 23 said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. Boy, fine. Then he goes on, we find his pride. He's murdered. He's committed uh, all sorts of issues, uh, morally speaking. And he says, and if Cain should be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. This is how highly this man thinks of himself. Pride has exploded. That's what sin does. Sin is self-centered. Self, uh, it is also self-defeating. It is uh, self-reliant. It is focused solely upon oneself. But the opposite, the seventh from Adam through Seth, who is Enoch here, has what godliness looks like, has what holiness looks like, has what faith looks like, walked with God. Now, the commentator continues. He says, Enoch, therefore, like Elijah, was taken away by God and carried into the heavenly paradise so that he did not see or experience, rather, death. Hebrews 11.5. He was taken up from this temporal life and transfigured into life eternal, being exempted by God from the law of death and of return to the dust, as those of the faithful will be, who shall be alive at the coming of Christ to judgment and who in like manner shall not taste of death and corruption, but be changed in a moment. Here's what we see. Hold your place here. Two places. Turn with me real quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Enoch here is giving us a wonderful picture of what we call today the rapture. How many of y'all believe that Jesus is going to call his people out here? All right, a few of you. There you go. The rest of you are starting to raise your hand, right? I do too. Why? You know what? Because the Bible teaches it. We find the first picture of it there with Enoch's life. We find it again with Elijah. We find it then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And now you say, well, uh, the, the word rapture in the English is not, not there. Well, that's because the Bible was not written in English. Makes a lot of sense, don't it? Right? Now let's look at this. Cha- chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians verse 13 but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. What does that mean? Dead. There we go. That's right. Dead. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Here's what was happening. Let me break it down a little bit for you in Thessalonian church. And shameless plug-in, we're studying the book of Thessalonians at Sunday school. So we're in chapter 2 now. So show up and we'll get more in depth in this. All right? Now, there you go. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, we see that they are people in the Thessalonian church who have died and people are going, well, what's going to happen to them? Are they going to resurrect? Are they going to be made new again? Where are they at? What's going on? All this stuff, right? He says in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, what do we call that? The gospel. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scripture. That is salvation. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what was prophesied literally there in the garden after the first sin. This is the whole thrust and message of the Bible. This is the whole thing right here. Then he says, if you believe that gospel, if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, meaning those who are dead in Christ, will God bring with him. Because they're already with him. Look at this. 
He says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He's not going to touch down on the earth then. All right? So the rapture is not the second coming. The rapture is the rapture. If you, if you will, the rapture is part A of the second coming. He comes in the clouds as far as he makes it. When does he have the second coming? That's when he steps foot on the earth. That's not coming until after the tribulation, all right? This is going to help kickstart some stuff, if you will. This is calling us out of here so that those who know Jesus, those who have died in Jesus, will not be a part of the great day of tribulation, all right? Now, here he meets... The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, while this is going on, Jesus is here in the clouds. Those who are dead in Christ. Right? And them which are alive and remain. So if it happened right now, that's us. Right? I hope it's y'all. I'm going. I'm up here, so I'm a little closer. <laughs> I got a shorter trip. Here's what's going to happen. It says, then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That word caught up, that is the word that we get rapture from. It is a snatching away. It is where we literally just snatched up out of here together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Where's the Lord? In the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. How long is that? Forever. That means we are going to be with Him where we then too, from that moment forward, can walk with God. That's a wonderful promise. He says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So wherefore tonight, when we see Enoch's life, comfort one another with those words. That there's coming a day that whether I'm dead or alive, Jesus, when He calls His people out of here, gone. Gone, gone. I don't have to go through the Great Tribulation. I don't have to go through chapters 4 through 19 of Revelation of just hell on earth, right? I'm going to be with Him. It's going to be all right. And now look here. Back a few pages. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is dealing with the topic of the resurrection. First and foremost, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ of which Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection changes everything. We know and believe that it is Christ's death that paid the price for our sins, don't we? It had to be. He had to die on the cross. Without the cross, we don't have salvation. But we forget this. Without the resurrection, we don't have it either. If Jesus does died and didn't raise again, we got nothing. right? As a matter of fact, here's what Paul says in the first portion of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, let's see here. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. So if Christ doesn't resurrect, your faith's in vain, and you're still in your sins. That's not salvation, is it? No. He says, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That's bad news. But Jesus rose again. Therefore, here's what he's saying. Because Jesus rose again, you and I shall rise again. Now, here's where he gets to 1 Corinthians 15. Let's look at verse number 50. That looks good, don't it? Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Let me ask you, is your body corruptible or incorruptible? 
All right, let's ask you another way. How many of y'all took a multivitamin or a prescription this morning? Right? The rest of y'all are probably lying. All right? Right? Why do you got to take those? How about this? You got to wear glasses? Yeah? All right? You, you got to uh, feel an ache or pain or a bruise or bloody nose? Right? Any of those things? If you had to put on deodorant, brush your teeth, right? You get some more than others. <laughs> Think about this. If you've got any of those things in your life, why is that? Because this body is corruptible. It is slowly but surely corrupting, corroding, and dying. Unless the Lord comes back while you're still alive, you one day will be worm food. That's it. That's your body. That's not so good, is it? Now look at this. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Why? Because there's some mystery about this. We shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die, but we shall be changed. Why? This is corruptible. This ain't going to cut the mustard in heaven, is it? Can flesh look at the face of God and live? No. That's why it's got to be changed. Look at this. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Y'all want to see how fast that is? There it is. Y'all see that? All right, y'all hold on. I'll do it again. Hold on. You ready? Do you see it? That quick. And probably faster. That quick. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Dead in Christ. Raise up. Same thing that he said in 1 Thessalonians 4, right? And then we which are alive and reign shall be changed. Why? Because then we're caught up together with him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Communion with Him, where we can see Him and live. That's good news. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. It must, it must, it must happen. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why and how do we know that there's victory? Because Jesus rose from the dead, and He says that we will too. Praise God. That's the victory. My victory is not just in the fact that I can live a good life on this earth. My victory is not just in the fact that um, He saved me, but my victory is found in the fact that Jesus has resurrected and has promised that I will too. I'm not going to stay this way forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? One day, if you're wearing glasses, you won't need them. If you're walking with a cane, you won't need it. If you've got a back brace or a prescription drug or a pain pill or if you've ever taken a Tylenol, you won't have to do it again. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. No more shots. No more vaccines. No more face masks. No more Germex. Praise God. That's what heaven is going to be. Just, just a little pinch of heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. That is our great hope. That is our great victory. Now, we say all that tonight to bring back to Genesis 5. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. How old did he live to be? 365 years old. And Enoch walked with God. Notice it says this about Enoch twice. Why do you think that is? It's important. 
He walked with God. And he walked with God. It is the idea that he walked with God, kept walking with God, and you know how he ended his life? Walking with God. It is not so much how you start, how you finish, right? Now, starting right is good. This is why we want young families, this is why we want to teach our young people in Sunday school and equip families to disciple their children. Because we want them to know the Lord early, to walk with the Lord early. And then this is why we have uh, couples ministries and different things for, for adults and ways to serve wife. Because what happens in the middle of your life matters too. Because now you're raising kids and you're teaching kids and you're running ministries, right? But you need to walk with God. How about you, older saints, right? You in your stage of life need to walk with God because no matter what stage of your Christian life you're in, the greatest thing that could ever be done in your Christian life is that you walk with God. If you're walking with God, you know what that's going to lead to? If you walk with God, you're going to know your Bible. You're going to invite people to church. You're going to witness. You're going to give. You're going to care. You're going to love. You're going to come to church. You're going to be a part of the church, not just attend. You're going to be here physically. You're going to volunteer. You're going to want more. You're going to go deeper. In your study, you're going to go higher in your worship. You're going to go wider in your outreach and your giving and your care. It begins with walking with God. A Christian who is not walking with God very well may not be a Christian. But this, if someone is walking with God, you can bet they're a Christian. Because you can be a Christian and walk after God and be decent. Walk before God and live morally. But to walk with God, that is a certain small few number of people here in the Bible. Why is that? Take some serious dedication. Everyone and anyone can come to church. Anyone and everyone can even pretty much be a decent church member, right? Very few walk with God. The ones that make a difference and the ones that have gone on to be with the Lord that you remember right now, take a moment. Think about souls right now that you know who have gone on to be with the Lord. The names that probably came to your mind, you know how you could probably sum up their life? Walked with God. And you know the difference, don't you? Right? And look at this. Hamilton writes, One of the names in this passage is well known, Enoch. It is not without significance that he is a seventh, the perfect position. Right? Think about number seven, perfection, completion, if you will, uh, in the genealogy. Unlike everyone else in this chapter whose death is recorded, remember that, they're born, they're alive, they have kids, they have more life, and then they die. Now, here he says it's different. So unlike everyone else in the chapter where death is recorded, Enoch is taken away. Perhaps long life is not the greatest blessing one can experience. Now, is long life a bad thing? No. It's a blessed thing, isn't it? Certainly it is a blessing to live many years, to be able to serve the Lord with those years even more so, right? But he says the better blessing is to be elevated into God's presence is better. He says, it is ironic that the one man in Genesis who does not experience death, Enoch, fathers history's oldest individual, Methuselah. That Enoch walked with God is a virtue and a privilege he shares with Noah. To be translated into the presence of God is far greater. How do we know? The Apostle Paul said the same thing. If you read uh, Philippians chapter number, chapter number 1. I'll turn there so y'all ain't got to. It's okay. Philippians chapter 1 tells us this. Paul's writing here, and he's writing for prison. Things aren't looking too good, and he thinks his departure is pretty much at hand. He says this. 
In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, is the fruit of my labor yet what I shall choose, I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. What's Paul saying? I want to go to heaven. A desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. The presence of God. To see God face to face is far better than anything in this world. You could hit the lottery tomorrow, right? Or whenever you play it, I don't know. So somebody out there probably knows. And guess what? It's nothing compared to walking with God. It is nothing compared to being with our Lord. He says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He knew that he had a job to do. Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The worst thing can, that can ever happen to you, dear believer, is that you die and go to heaven. That's it. If that's the worst thing that happens to you, that's pretty good. Right? You figure, if you're saved tonight, this is the closest to hell you'll ever get. You ever thought about that? That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? The sad thing, though, the, the opposite of that is, if you are lost tonight, this is as close to heaven you got, unless you're born again. Now, when we look at Enoch's life as we go through here, we find these faithful patriarchs, we find this faithful living, we find that faith leads to being in the presence of God because only faith can please God. Faith saves from future wrath. Nothing else does. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn your way out. It was not even that Enoch was just way over here and everyone else just, just didn't quite cut it up. He, he was dedicated to walking with God. Everyone else certainly could have been living by faith. But when Enoch walked with God. Walking with God is what is needed. Walking with God should be the desire of every believer's heart tonight. I don't want to settle for average Christianity. I don't want to settle for average churchianity. I don't want to settle for just going through the motions of being a decent Christian. I want to walk with God because when we walk with God, we have the presence of God. His presence is far greater than anything. We've seen that already in the Scripture, all the New Testament alike. How about this? When we're walking with God, you know what happens then? When we're walking with God, we have peace with God. Not just with God, but with everything else because when God's right there, it don't matter what comes. Think about this. When their disciples are going and they're in the boat and things ain't good and Jesus wakes up and says, peace be still, what happens? Peace be still. The wind ceases. The waves cease. Jesus is there. That's what calms storms. That's what gives peace. How about this? How were the disciples, the apostles, able to do things? Is it because they were more powerful than anyone else and they were more spiritual? No. It's this. Christ was with them. Jesus' presence and walking with Him matters more than anything else. And if we were to live the Christian life as we were meant to live it in this world, as salt and light, it is meant to be lived walking with God. It would be much better for your family to say when you pass on that they walked with God than they were a decent or a good person. It'd be nice if they say, well, they cared, they gave, they were a good church member, they were a good person. They were a good grandma, grandpa. That's all nice things, and somebody will say that about you. Praise God. But it is a much more blessed of a thing to know they walked with God. And there's a difference.
In Hebrews 11.5, we're informed that he was translated to heaven, a mighty miracle designed to uh, affect what ordinary means of instruction had failed to accomplish, gave a palpable proof to an age of almost universal unbelief that the doctrines which he had taught, and we'll look at that in just a moment, were true, and that his devotedness to the cause of God and righteousness in the midst of opposition was highly pleasing in the mind of God. Jude tells us this about, about uh, Enoch here. Jude only has one chapter here, verses 14 and 15 tell us, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. What does prophesy mean? It's to preach. What the prophets do? They, were pro- they prophesied, right? What did that mean? Was it just foretelling the future? About that much of it. What was the rest of it? Preaching. Thus saith the Lord, repent. Thus saith the Lord, repent. That was it. That was the message. Every time, every prophet. Same for today. He says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, what did he do? He preached. He prophesied. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. What was he preaching? Here was his message. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. What a message that is, isn't it? He's saying, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. You know how long ago that was? A long time ago. Nearly 4,000 years ago. That's a long time, isn't it? Christ's second coming hasn't come yet, has he? Nope. But he was preaching it. Why? Because the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, the cross, the resurrection, it was no afterthought of God. It was the full thought of God by his divine providence to save sinners and to promise them eternal life. He says then, in verse 15, the rest of Enoch's message was to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all of, uh, and, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Quite the popular message, huh? Health, wealth, prosperity? Nope. Jude preached Christ is coming. He's coming with his angels. He's coming with his saints. And guess what? He's coming to judge. Judgment is coming. Notice this. Pop quiz here. Y'all ready? Got your think caps? All right. What happens in chapter 6? The flood. That's right. <laughs> you guys got it. <laughs> you guys were quiet and thinking. The flood comes. What do we call the flood? Judgment. Did it happen in a little spot? Did it happen in the whole world? Whole world. Judge. Like that. In fact, 40 days, 40 nights, it would rain and deluge and the ground would, birth, uh, would, would bur- burst forth. The, the, the water above would, would flow down. The whole world would be judged. Like that. So what did Jude preach? Judgment. I mean, excuse me, what, what did we see Jude say about Enoch? That he preached judgment. He preached repentance. He preached what Noah would preach. He preached what every prophet would preach. But what do we know about Enoch? Did he see that judgment? No. Did he taste death? No. He was called out of there. Enoch was a preacher prophesying in word and in the way in which God took him that one day the promised seed will come for all of his people so that they will not taste death. 1 Thessalonians 4. Not everybody is going to die. 
The Bible said that those who are alive and remain who are in Christ shall be caught up with Him. That's what Enoch is picturing here. J. Vernon McGee writes, I think that all the great truths here in Genesis are germane. In my judgment, this is the picture of what is to come. Here is the rapture of the church before the judgment of the flood. God removes Enoch. So here we find that the, the book of Genesis up to this point has covered every major doctrine of Scripture. It has given us everything from the creation to uh, pointing to the fact of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and it's pointed to Revelation 22, the very, begin, the very end of all things. We see how everything is going this way and that way. It is pointing to God's grand masterpiece that God is revealing Himself to man so that man can respond to who God is. And here's what Phillips writes about, about Enoch here. He says, He is the archetype of the rapture of the church, caught away before the wickedness finally crested and before judgment finally fell. In that he stands in contrast with Noah who, representing Israel, was preserved through the terrible days of judgment and landed safely on a remade earth. That's what's going to happen in tribulation, by the way, y'all. All right? Twice it is recorded of Enoch that he walked with God. His testimony was to the presence of God, to the possibility of living a quiet, godly life in a corrupt and careless age. What was the world around him like? Wicked. Was it getting better or worse? Worse. As a matter of fact, it's going to get so worse that in just three more generations, God's going to say, enough's enough. And millions, if not billions, would be killed because they refused to heed to God's Word. So what does Enoch's life teach us here? And we'll be done. Find, first of all, and it's not in your notes here, that God's presence is the goal of life. To be in the presence of God is everything. The, the greatest moments of your Christian life, what's it like? It's great. Why? Because you're in the presence of God. The best church services that you can think of off the top of your head, why are they so good? God's there, right? And, and it's not... And we say this all the time here. We don't go by feeling and little tinglers on the back of your neck. When the Lord's there, the Lord's there. And something special about that. But also we find that the creation, what's so special about it? God's presence. What's so wonderful about Eden? God's presence. What's so wonderful about God clothing man? God's presence. What's so wonderful about the cross? God's presence. What's so wonderful about the empty tomb? God's presence. What's so wonderful about the coming of Christ? God's presence. What's so wonderful about eternity? Revelation chapter 21 22, the eternal city of God. God's presence. What is your reconciliation for? To bring you back to God's presence. Enoch's life teaches us as well that we are designed to live a life walking with God in a close, obedient, and faithful relationship. Tonight, if your obituary is being written, is it going to say that they walked with God? See, at the end of the day, it wouldn't matter so much if they put pastor, husband, those things are nice. They walk with God. Did I walk with Him? Second, 
that we, like Enoch, are to proclaim the truth of coming judgment to a wicked generation, trusting God's hand to deliver us from the day of wrath. That's what we believe we're doing right now, by the way. We preach Christ. We preach His coming. We preach this for Christ. He came. He died. He rose. He's coming again. And you must be born again. Or else when He comes again, it will not be good for you. Now, when we preach that, are we going to be popular? No. Are we going to draw a crowd? No. Are we even going to have much fruit? At times, no. But it's the Lord's to give anyways. But we are called to do what Enoch did. Walk with God and preach the Word of God. Third, we find this, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall meet Him in the air like Enoch, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what we look forward to. Even so, come Lord Jesus. What happened to the days in churches? We used to be excited about Jesus' coming. It wasn't that long ago. We won't have real change in our hearts or our homes or our churches until we get back to the place where we believe that Christ could come any moment. His coming, His calling us out is imminent. You know what needs to happen for the rapture to take place? Nothing. Nothing else. That quick, but faster. Lastly, this. We must live as if both the coming of Jesus and the coming of His wrath are imminent because they are. It's needed. We need that reminder tonight. Tonight, when we see the life of Enoch, it stands in total and complete contrast to everybody else in the Bible to this point and to everybody else to come except for Elijah. But here's the great truth. He's picturing what our life should look like. Walk with God now because He's coming for me. and He's going to call me out of here before judgment comes. Will I face tribulations? Yes. Will I face the tribulation? No. And praise God for it. May we, like Enoch, look forward to the coming of our Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank You for this night. Grateful for the truth of Your Word. Grateful that we uh, can live by faith, that we can know Your Word, we can see You, we can see Christ. Help us, Lord, in these uh, days, Lord, in these last days that we believe that we're living in, that You told us that we're living in. God, that we would live rightly according to You, that we would not just have good morals or, or, or play church, but God, that we would walk with You, Lord, that we would walk in fellowship and communion with You. And God, that we would long and look forward to Your return. Lord, that our hearts would be motivated by it, that our hearts would be strengthened by it, that our hearts would be comforted by it. As Your Word tells us there in First Thessalonians, to comfort one another with these words, Lord. Help us to look forward to that great day, and Lord, to live every moment as if that moment is coming anytime, Lord. And so, God, we pray that as we leave from this place, Lord, that our hearts and our minds will be focused upon uh, You and Your Word, and Lord, that we will be obedient and obey You and trust You and walk by faith as Enoch did. We love You and we thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, we'll see you guys Sunday morning. Y'all have a good